What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that enlightens and inspires listeners with insights from distinguished business leaders and subject matter experts. Our conversations are designed to make you think, inspire you to reach ever higher for cultivating your best, and take an informed approach toward leadership and business. Today, we're going off track. I'm going to give you something very special, and we're going to really showcase purpose and passion. Our guest today is Barbara Altunian, a BBC-trained TV and radio interviewer with more than 30 years of experience. Today, among other ventures, she's the founder and trustee of The Hospice Biographers, a UK-based charity that trains and mentors specialist volunteers to record the life stories of patients across all the UK's 200 hospices. So far, they have recorded over 180 patient life stories and trained more than 30 hospices with the aim of expanding across the globe. We'll be talk- taking this unique approach and hearing about Barbara's own unique story. Barbara, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to have you, and I want to thank Paul Skinner for sending you to me and, and alerting me to the amazing work that you're doing. And as I said in the introduction, Barbara, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to sort of reverse roles a little bit here and give our listeners just a taste. Mind you, I can't do it the same way that your biographers do, but give our listeners a taste of you sharing your story a bit like you might be doing inside hospice. So where do you want to start? Um, I would say you should start at the beginning. I like it. Let's do it. So um, I first um, thought about recording somebody's life story when my own father was diagnosed with a terminal illness when I was about to become a BBC news trainee and I was told that uh, he was going to die. And so my first inclination was to think about how I could preserve his life story. Um, He was 65 and um, he had a thrilling life story, or that's what I thought anyway, uh, being his daughter. And so I um, stole or borrowed permanently and a a radio recorder from uh, my local BBC radio station and I set about recording his life story and first of all he um, well my family I've got a very large family so I've got four brothers and sisters my parents my father is um, a Syrian English Anglo person and my mum was um, German so they had very different cultures And uh, we were living in a place called Cheshire in the north of England. And we spent a lot of our time in the Lake District. And um, what what I said to my brothers and sisters was, look, Dad's dying. Shall I record his life story? And they all said, oh, God, Barbara, stop being such a nosy old beef. You know, um, I don't think you should be doing that. Um, I think you should just leave him to his own, you know, um, thoughts. And, you know, we... I think it's too intrusive and he's dying and you should leave him alone and stop being so nosy. And um, I said to my mum, you know, well, what do you think? And she said, oh, nine, Barbara, nine. You know, uh, this is much too intrusive. You know, 
And um, so I said, okay, well, let's solve the problem by asking dad. Brilliant. See what he thinks, because I was a bit crushed by that point. I was only quite young, you know, I was in my 20s. And um, he said, um, oh, Barbara, that's a brilliant idea. That was a brilliant idea. He had a very posh English accent, uh, even though he was Syrian. And um, I said, well, well, that's great, Dad. Well, fantastic. I'll, I'll go about and, and find an audio recorder. And so um, we got into a pattern of um, recording his life story in their lovely family home in Cheshire, a place called Wilmslow. And um, we would go into the dining room and we would go on a big dining room table and I'd put my tape recorder there and he'd open a bottle of wine. And in this recording, you could hear all the family ambience of our life there. You could hear my little sister Heidi coming in going, hey, Barbara, what are you doing? And you could hear the doorbell going in the way that it does and the phone ringing and my mother coming in, Buff Maksu here, handic fashion and all that kind of stuff. And um, she would, you know, be interrupting. But it was really lovely because actually all this ambience and family noises was absolutely what tells a person's story. And mm -hmm. obviously it's capturing a time in history. And I was, although I didn't realise it at the time, I was capturing, you know, a, a, a part of his life and, and my life. Um, and I just set about because I just studied philosophy and logic, actually. And I just thought, well, the most logical thing to do is to start at the beginning. So I had a huge, great big notebook. I had my tape recorder, which um, putting on and off, thinking I'm never going to be able to record this. And uh, this is all going to go wrong. So I kept on checking it because I was so nervous about it. And, um, and we started recording. And um, he would always say at the beginning, oh, Barbara, there's not much to say. You know, I don't know what to say. You know, oh, oh. I say, oh, come on, Dad. So where were you born? And he'd say, you know, well, I was born in Syria in a place called Aleppo. Um, we used to have a hospital there uh, named after our family called the Altunians, as you know. And he would start telling the story. And um, it was just brilliant. It was just wonderful because it um, told me so many things that I'd never have thought to ask. Because if you live with somebody, you're brought up with somebody, you don't suddenly stop and ask them, you know, what they felt about their parents or what it was that they did as a boy. And I found out all sorts of fascinating things about him. And I'd be always saying, Dad, are you telling the truth? <laughs> Is this all true? I'm just making it up. <laughs> and um, he would say, of course, Barbara, of course. And he, he got up to all sorts of naughty things as a child. And um, he was living, you know, in... Um, this, this place called Aleppo, which is obviously destroyed now. But at the time, it was a very beautiful place. And mm. um, he would describe uh, what the house looked like and the hospital that they used to run. They used to run a hospital along Robin Hood lines, which probably won't mean anything to an, uh, an American audience. But what it meant was that you would uh, price the hell out of rich people for the sake of poor people. And so um, for poor people their services um, were entirely free. Or they used to accept a goat or something in exchange for, for an operation. And um, my family uh, ran it for four generations. And um, they, they, um, they, they, they ran it very, very successfully. 
and uh, he told us a great story about how he saw some beggars in the street and uh, these beggars in the street were just ideal um, area for him to try and um, experiment on. Could he make this disabled child um, who'd been deliberately made a cripple for begging purposes because uh, such a large population in Syria were poor. It was their only way of surviving. And he said to the family, he being my father, Dr. Roger Altunian, um, look, would you like to um, let us, you know, operate on him and make your son uh, a healthy boy again? And they all said yes at the time. And um, he told me how they did exactly that. They gave him first class um, treatment. And um, after uh, quite a long time, um, he made this this boy, this this poor boy, um, uh, healthy again. And he, he had um, physio afterwards, after the operations, and he was able to walk again and assume a normal life. He was only very, very young, only about nine or ten years of age. And um, it was devastating for him as a young doctor. Um, he'd been educated at Cambridge in, in England. And um, he had full of hope and, you know, was very excited about life, um, that he would be fine. This, this boy would, would be fine. But in fact, within a couple of months, um, when he went to go and visit the family again, they'd made the boy disabled again. Oh, Barbara. <laughs> oh, heartbreaking. I know. So, um, but, you know, I would never have found that out, that story. Um I would never have found that out had I not um, recorded his life story. And um, yeah, go on. I, I was just going to say, you know what I'm getting so present to, and I'm just delighted by this. this is exactly I wanted to share with you. I wanted to share you with the audience here, Barbara, because I really think the work that you're doing is profoundly important, and I do want to see it spread across the globe. I'm getting very present that those conversations that you and your father had in his last few days or weeks were probably some of the most profound of his existence and yours. And you learn things about him that you didn't know, and now you have you've got something, and that stands. There's a record that stands to share that with other people. It's incredible. It is, and what what one should also remember is that my brothers and sisters who were so against it, he died only two weeks after I finished recording, and um, they each of them said to me in a very quiet and chastened way, um, "Bob, that's me." Um, can I have a copy of the record? <laughs> only then did they realise the value of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was only a little kid. You know, I wasn't. I was just in my early twenties, and um, I, I, it, it was just the best decision I'd I'd made because I had to postpone my training in order to do this recording with my father. So it was a very hasty decision on my part, but it was the best decision um, you could ever make. Um, because it was just fantastic, and and so that's the where where the idea came from, right? So that was many years yes. ago. He yes, was the inspiration. He yes. was the inspiration. So uh, there's another word for that, but I can't remember what it is. But um, anyway, that does that's not important. So now from here, where do you want to share your story? This is such a great way to start. Well, um, the other thing he, uh, my father, was um, a character in a book called Swallows and Amazons which was a very um, famous classical English um, storybook at the time, an adventure storybook. And he told me lots of stories about what it was like to be characters in a, in a famous English um, storybook when they were all living in Syria, basically. 
and that was very fascinating. And then the other fascinating thing about his life was that he then went on to become um, a doctor who became a self-experimenter and devised a drug for asthmatics, which I think lots of your listeners will probably be using. It's, it's variously described. Uh, he, he discovered it in the 1960s, and mm. it was called Ventolin or Intel. And it was the first uh, drug treatment of its kind for asthmatics who'd hitherto been described really as um, lazy work-shy individuals who were just kind of putting out on these um, chesty, horrible wheezes just to get out of work. Um, and, you know, he, he did that on his own after being in secret, working away as a self-experimenter, inhaling all sorts of asthmatic-provoking attacks. Um, and um, he discovered this drug, and it, it was the reason why he was dying uh, prematurely. So I got all that story in because, because I was recording him, and I was asking him the right questions, which is, okay, Dad, and what did you do next? And why did you do that? And, you know, just listening to him, really. And that's probably the most interesting thing you can learn out of um, the hospice biographer's stories, the value of listening to people, really listening, because the world moves so fast and everyone's attention span is so truncated and reduced these days that the ability to listen before jumping to the next is a salutary tale for us all. Yes, and to do so with extreme curiosity. I want to know. I want to know who you are, and I want to understand the life that you've led. How often does someone get a chance to share that? Yeah, exactly. And also, the other thing is, which we never realized at the time when we started, was um, that if you start recording somebody um, in the beginning, each 10 years that you record of them then informs them of their next 10 years. The brain works in a certain way where they say, oh, my God, Barbara, you've made me remember something. I've completely forgotten. Aren't you clever? And I <laughs> say to them all the time, no, I'm not clever at all. All I've done is I've done it in a sequence. I've done it chronologically. So it's the best way of recording anyone's life story because they will, they will, they will be able to remember all the details. Even if they're early dementia, they will remember all the details because the brain itself is very, is, is, is very logical. If you oh. skip, it, they won't remember. And so that was a that was a great that's a great kind of um, thing that I discovered when I started doing it in earnest. Hmm. And on that note, that's a beautiful thing. Let's grab our first break. I want to I want to be able to showcase the fact that you married philosophy and logic in this, Barbara. That is beautiful. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Barbara Altunian, founder and trustee of the Hospice Biographers, a UK-based charity that trains and mentors specialist volunteers to record the life stories of patients across all of the UK's 200 hospices. She joins us today from London. We've been talking a bit about how what was her inspiration for starting the hospice biographers after the break will continue the conversation stay with us we'll be right back dr elise cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose an inspirational speaker and author she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment performance and commitment within the workforce to learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. 
This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Barbara Altunian, a BBC-trained TV and radio interviewer with more than 30 years of experience. She's also the founder and the trustee of the Hospice Biographers, a UK-based charity that trains and mentors specialist volunteers to record the life stories of patients across all of the UK's 200 hospices with plans to expand globally. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So, Barbara, from there, you've laid the foundation of where this fantastic idea came from. And, of course, a story like that that's inspired from love and connection and, and, and respect is a beautiful thing to, to stand on to, to start an organization like the Hospice Biographers. Where should we take the story next? Um, well, I think what happened then was that I, um, I, I pursued – my, my, my father sadly died two weeks after I'd finished recording him – and I pursued a career in television with, with the BBC and uh, I eventually started my own television production company and, um, you know, many years passed. But all the way through my television career, I kept on meeting people who, who would say, oh, Barbara, with a funny name, um, you, you, you record um, audio recordings of people's lives, don't you? And I'd say yes. And they'd say, oh, well, I've got a great mum or I've got... I know somebody who's lived around the corner who's got a great story to tell. So I would continue to do the life stories on audio of people who were rich and famous, uh, downtrodden and the victims of injustice, ordinary people with fascinating stories. Um, Just by the by, you know, I didn't advertise, obviously. I had a full-time job. Um, But people would kind of just hear about me through the grapevine. And then... Um, I, I carried on working in television, working in television. And then finally, we decided, uh, my, my business partner and I, to um, give up our production company. And uh, we sold it. And I decided to try and find some other way of kind of living in, in, in my life, as it were, but not doing television full time. And so I, I, I volunteered to record life stories in a prison in a local prison near where I live. And they said, oh, great idea, Barbara. You can't do it because we don't have the staff to monitor what you're doing and how many drugs that people put in your pocket and, you know, what sort of messages they send to people outside. So it's far too dodgy. So thank you, but no thank you. So then I thought, oh, well, what about a local hospice? So I kind of dashed off an email to a local hospice and they said, oh, great, come in. Come in as soon as you can. And... um, I, I was still working, so I had to wait a few days and went to go along to see them. And they said, start tomorrow. We want you to start tomorrow. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I got into the hospice. I had all my crime checks done, and I started recording. And um, I went into a local hospice near where I live called Princess Alice, which is in an area called Isha in Surrey. And um, nobody would see me. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, expensive equipment and all my experience and everyone kind of took one look at me and say and said to me "Ah, no Barbara with a funny name no 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 we don't know who you are and the answer is no no so I'd sit there going what what on earth shall I do this is not this is not the way it should be at all 
so um, I'd hang around and I'd make tea for everybody and I'd work in this kind of odd um, arts class and, you know, just kind of hung around and made, made a nuisance of myself. And I used to approach more people, more patients and all the rest of it. And he kept on saying, no, Barbara, no, um, you've got a very strange surname and the answer's still no. And um, <laughs> I'd say, oh, God, what shall I do? You know, I was so frustrated. Anyway, um, after the third time I went in and uh, they could see I was going to be there all day bothering them for teas and cakes they didn't want and all the rest of it. And one of the patients said, Barbara, I feel sorry for you. You're trying so hard and you've got your equipment there. Um, use me. I will give you something and let's take it from there. So I, very, I was very nervous by this time. I've spent a lifetime recording people's uh, life uh, stories as a, as a television correspondent in war zones and famines and God knows what and running a production company. But that was nothing compared to meeting this beautiful, beautiful lady who just felt sorry for me and wanted to tell me her story. She was facing end of life very bravely and um, just said, look, get on with it. You know, <laughs> don't, don't give me any of your charitable stuff. You know, just get on with it. And I was so, so nervous. And my knees were knocking. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't operate the machinery. I just completely forgot. It was like taking an exam. I just didn't know how to operate uh, operate any of it. And she was saying, um, uh, you do know how to operate this, this equipment, don't you? I was going, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I started the recording and it went really well. And I remembered everything and it all came back. And she was my saviour. Um, she just got me going. And when she finished, after a good two or three hours, she, she had a long story to tell. And um, she went round the uh, patient community in the, in the hospice and said, you know, Barbara, it's OK. So people said, well, OK, um, I wouldn't mind having a go, actually. And, uh, <laughs> and it, just, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. I was so relieved. I felt... I was kind of beginning to get a headache and feeling really kind of, oh. Um, but she just unveiled a kind of new world to me and she made me feel kind of two inches high, but then, you know, a giant afterwards. And uh, I felt very relieved. And after that, it went really, really well. And then after, after a year, um, another patient who I'd become very, very... Um, close to because a lot of the patients become very attached to you mm -hmm, I understand they, yes and, and they take the myth out of what you're wearing and I used to cycle to the um hospice and still do in fact and they used to say oh Bobby your hair looks ridiculous why don't you go to the head you know to the, to the hairdressers one day or you know look at your socks they don't match or you know and and they just used to take the myth out of me all the time and um this one lady who I became particularly attached to said um, Barbara, you do realise that this isn't the only hospice uh, in Britain, don't you? And I, I said, oh, um, really? How many are there? And she said, I have no idea. Go and find out. But I can tell you it's not the only one. And um, so that gave me the idea to actually start a charity because having had such a difficult time, I did actually get in. And I'm now, dare I say it, very popular there. And I, I still obviously record there. 
and um, people. I'm on. A, I, I have a waiting list of, of patients who want to be recorded by me, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, well, it's it's quite a success story. But she gave me the idea of starting a charity, and that's what I did in November 2017. And we've actually recorded 240 life stories now. Mm. And um, we've got into 45 different hospices, and we're training them all the time. And uh, we've got another 160 to go. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it's, um, it's a big old mountain to climb. But I think um, so long as we can stay focused and... Um, you know, we can we can get the right kind of people who've got quite a lot of chutzpah, as it were, to um, persevere with patients who've got. Uh, you know, if you're facing end of life, you do feel sometimes. I would imagine that they that 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 you're kind of up against the world. So if you if you are approached by somebody in the wrong way, they will say they will balk. And they'll say, no, I'm sorry, I don't want to be interrupted by you. Go away, you know. Um, but if, if we approach, approach them in the right way and we have the right infrastructure, I think we'll just carry on going. Well, I, as I told you in our first call, Barbara, I definitely want to help you evangelize this. And I don't know how much I told you, but I have been in, uh, interested in life stories my for the last, the 20, last 20 years. And I wanted to do something like this as well, although in a written format. And and I wanted, and interestingly enough, I went into a retirement community and wanted to do, wanted to collect their stories. I was told no because of privacy issues. So I understand fundamentally what you're doing and its import. If somebody has spent their whole entire life and they get a chance to share what matters, they get to presence the points that are most pertinent to them and use those as their parting words. I can't think of a better gift to give of themselves. You know, I've been chased down corridors in my hospice by patients' families who said, are you that Barbara woman? And then they kind of chased me down and I kind of ran a little bit, um, not knowing who they were. And they've, and they've said, you know, we just want to give you a hug. We just want to give you a hug because um, we hear your voice on our father, brother, sisters, wives, whatever it is, um, audio recordings. And they're clearly having a lovely time. And they do. And um, so do their families. And also, so do the hospice biographers. It's it's hugely privileged position to be in to record somebody's life story because you are taking a little bit of their soul. Mm-hmm. Because once you give everything during such a vulnerable time, you, you are giving... Um, something of yourself to a stranger you know I am a stranger to them and um, I can quite understand their resistance and so it's enormously it's enormously um, privileged position to be in to sit in a room with somebody to talk about such personal things and um, and and yeah I, I love it and when I get to go home um, I, I've usually done three or four uh, on occasions I've done six uh, but that's been the absolute maximum most of the time it's either three or four and um, you know I, I just feel exhausted <laughs> absolutely exhausted and I just go straight to bed and uh, I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm, I'm physically exhausted because I've cycled a long way and um, I feel emotionally um, just completely fatigued 
because in order to record somebody's life story, you really do have to concentrate. You can't look at your phone. You can't answer text messages. You can't um, afford your eyes to wander into other areas. You've got to concentrate on that patient because if that patient gets the slightest whiff that you are bored, you've got something better to do, they will just shut down mm-hmm. and they will be crushed beyond your, you know, worst nightmare. So, you know, the biggest thing is to, as I've said in the first break, uh, before the first break, was, you know, you've really got to learn how to listen to other people and to have have that kind of empathy where you can understand what it's like for somebody end of life to give their life story to a complete and utter stranger. And, and to trust them enough to do that. Yes, and that, yet one that obviously is present and cares. And didn't you also say, Barbara, I think in one of our conversations, that there's something about the voice of a person yeah. that endures. Didn't you say something about it, that? It does, it does. It's the voice that matters. Uh, one of the things that you miss so much is to hear the voice of your loved one. And... Um, the quality of where you've recorded it, as I've told you with my father, you know, it's lovely to hear the family interruptions and the ambience of, of a room. Um, it's great to hear the voice again, because obviously it just fills you with all the memories that you have of that person. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, you can't, I can't think of a great, you know, you might have expensive jewellery or, you know, real estate or whatever it is that you want to, think of as being valuable but actually i think an audio recording i think audio rather than 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 video is just hugely hugely precious and obviously it's unique it is it is beautiful and on that on that note barbara let's grab our last break and then we'll start fresh afterwards i'm your host elise cortez we run the air with barbara altunian founder and trustee of the hospice biographers a uk-based charity that trains and mentors specialist volunteers to record the life stories of patients across all of the uk's 200 plus hospices she joins us today from london after the break we're going to hear more about how she got started and what she's learned along the way stay with us we'll be right back dr elise cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Barbara Altunian, a BBC-trained TV and radio interviewer with more than 30 years of experience. She's also the founder and trustee of the Hospice Biographers, a United Kingdom-based charity that trains and mentors specialist volunteers to record the life stories of patients across all of the UK's hospices. She plans to expand globally. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Barbara, in this last segment here, we've got maybe 15 or so minutes here. Where should we go next? Um, one of the things that people say to me is, um, I've only got a recording from 
my loved one um, as it was left on her telephone answering machine, Mm. the the old-fashioned telephone answering machine, or on her mobile. And it's just so awful to think that that's the only recording that they've got. So my message to you is, if I had a penny, an old-fashioned English penny, for every single time somebody has said that to me, I would be a, a multimillionaire Indeed, I know when people can can depart so quickly. But yet, I know in my case, my my I would have loved to have had you interview my mother, Barbara. Both my parents died twenty eight days apart in January two thousand nineteen. My mother's case, you could have come and 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 done her interview because we had time. Not my father's case because he had a stroke. But yes, I re- what I'm hanging on to is what I remember of a conversation in the hospital. I would have much rather had you recording. Well. I will definitely come along to the States and interview any uh, relative who wishes me to do that um, in exchange for a donation because we are a charity. Um, But I would be very, very uh, uh, privileged and and pleased to do that because that is my favourite, favourite ever job in in my life. I think that's why I I came down um, to to Earth to to do. And and, and I I would be very, very keen to do that because I love recording life stories. Um, I think every single life is worth remembering and everybody's got a story. And most of the stories that I find fascinating aren't stories of, you know, braving world wars or, you know, doing the the, the kind of headline things that you, you think about. It's actually the little things in life that are so fascinating about recording people's life stories. It's about how they cope with adversity. Just little things like having an argument first argument they've ever had when they were um, arguing with their best friend and their best friend broke up with them or how they felt jealous when their brother had um, his his marriage to his uh, wife and leaving the sibling behind and not paying as much attention as they used to. It's the kind of small parts of life and how they cope with it that actually the most illuminating and insightful of, 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 of recording life stories. There's actually an awful lot of learning that one can have from recording people's life stories. I know what you mean, Barbara, because as we, as we spoke when we first met, being a meaning in work and a, uh, an identity researcher, when I would go and do interviews, and I guess I've done now close to about 150 of those recorded, et cetera, for research purposes, yes, you learn the, the way that people tell their story. There's a lesson in that, and invariably there's inspiration with that. And then when it's been fascinating because then they go back and share the transcript with their loved ones who often go on to say, I didn't know you had that experience. I've never heard you tell that before, but it landed in the transcript. Exactly. It's how people navigate their lives, which is the most illuminating part of of, of people's life stories. And people always say to me, oh, Barbara, I've got nothing to say to you. I want you to record my life story, but I can tell you there's very little I can say. And I always say, oh, yes, okay. Well, let's, let's just start, shall we? Where were you born? Under a table or in a hospital? Or tell me what it's all about. And they always laugh and, and they start from there. And then when, when they start telling you the story, can I just tell you, they look through you. They don't see you anymore. Yes. They're giving you huge, tiny detail of the man that came to see them in their house when they were five with hair coming out of their nose and the blue eyes matching their blue shirt. 
all that kind of tiny little detail. They remember in huge, huge, fascinating color kaleidoscope. It's 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 a joy, a real joy. And what else strikes me too, Barbara, as I'm thinking about who would be listening to this. So this is someone who's now they're on the departed end of the person who gave you that conversation and they want to go back and remember. I would love to come back and hear my mother tell some stories about what it was like for her to grow up. And when we were coming up as children and living on the farm and starting the restaurant and all of that, um, I, I, I think about why would you want to go back to that? I want to remember. I want to be with them. Yeah, and relatives often say to me, oh, Barbara, you know, how clever of you to have got all those stories from them. Why did they never tell us? They must love you. They must respect you more than me. And I say, oh, absolutely. And they say, no, is that true? Is that true? I say, no, of course not. Of course it's not true. It's just that I've been chronological. I've been, I'm a complete stranger. So if they say something that I don't understand, I say, oh, really? Why is that? Or what happened next? I prompt them along. They've got to explain things in greater detail because I am unknown to them. Exactly. And, you know, and, and that's what it is. And of course they go, oh, well, that's all right then. You know. <laughs> but, in, but you also, like you said, though, Barbara, you, you, you come at it. I mean, who doesn't, who can really resist having someone sit across from them and, and genuinely with curiosity really want to know who you are and the life that you've led? Who, who can resist that? Yeah. No, I, I, everybody loves it, and um, once they get going, and and when the, and actually the other big thing I've got to tell you is that when they come in, um, a lot of patients, you know, have complaints about, you know, oh, I've got pains here, and this is happening, and this drug doesn't work, and everything, and I say, you know, clear all that from your thoughts now. Let's just start talking about your life story. Let's start from the beginning, da da da, and then and then what what they say is they say at the end of it. You know, I feel so good. I feel really, really good, Barbara. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And I say it's the greatest pleasure in the world. You know, thank you very much for sharing it. And and that's what it is. Um, you know, it's it, it makes people feel better. It's a therapy. It, it's not called a therapy, but it is. That's how it works. It's cathartic. It's um, it's soothing. It it it's it puts um. It puts your life into perspective. It gives you a legacy to leave behind for your loved one. What a gift. Right. Think about what you just said there. So listeners, if you, I want you to pay attention to this. So the fact that Barbara experiences this work as the most precious thing, and I think what she said, what she was put on earth for, so I might call that purpose. I don't know, maybe she doesn't, but, um, and then that she's giving the gift of the person telling the story who feels elevated and feels celebrated and what a gift out. So when you think about, wow, what can I do in this world to make a difference, to contribute my passions and make the world a better place? That's a win, 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 win all the way around right there. That is just beautiful, Barbara. Yeah. Well, I think it is. And it's enjoyable for everybody. You know, it is a win-win situation because I'm enjoying it. They're enjoying it. And most of all, their um, their families enjoy it. And they, and they just find out so much. And also, they begin to think, Gosh, I'm a bit like that. And my relative, who um, I love very dearly, I had no idea about all this detail. And they're giving me detail, which I think has been passed on to me. So I'm going to take I'm going to take uh, a lesson out of that, and I'm going to do it that way. You know, I, I'm getting divorced at the moment. I'm 
going through uh, bankruptcy at the moment. I'm going through adversity at the moment. So, you know, I always say at the end of the interviews, now, this is the favorite part. I'm going to go and make some tea for you. And while I'm there, I want you to think about the advice you want to give to your relatives. Um, and I want Brilliant. To, you should give them some advice. And they say, oh, I, I don't know before. I can't possibly do that. But I think, well, I'll just go make a cup of tea and come back and see what you think. And then by the time I get back, they've got they've written a long long list, and they they say the most extraordinary things. They say things like, um, "Jack, even that when I'm dead, I'm going to be able to look down on you, and I'm just going to tell you right now. I know you're only five, but I will I will know when you're picking your nose. I will know, <laughs> and I will be telling you off." <laughs> <laughs> that is delightful. Oh, my gosh. And when Jack is 45 years old, he's going to love hearing that. He's going to love hearing that. And, you know, he, they, 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 they talk about the insights that they made and the mistakes they made. You know, they come clean on, on everything that they've done. And, and you know, if, if we do come across somebody whose life story does in, include, um, you know, bits that have affected other people adversely, I mean, seriously, like, oh, if the worst should happen, and it hasn't happened to us yet, but if we come across somebody who is uh, a, a child sex abuser or a robber or a thief or a uh, criminal, you know, we have to stop the recording. Mm. And we have to say, I'm sorry, but the recording ends here. Um, this goes to social services within um, the hospice. And uh, if necessary, the police will be informed. So, you know, it, it's not always, it's, I've never had that situation, but we've got that provision um, laid out in our reg- rules and regulations and we stick by it. So, um, so you know, in our in our life stories, uh, they're always very inspiring. But there will come a time in my life when I will come across somebody who has had a uh, less than uh, perfect past, and uh, we will have problems there. And we will have to our recordings, you know, because we we don't want families to ever be upset um, after listening to it. This mm-hmm. is a heartwarming service. It's it's not one where people can can abuse it. So you know we're not um, silly. We're not naive. We know what we're doing. Yeah, the numbers are there, right, Barbara? So tell me again. You said how many how many hospices do have you been working in? And how many how many stories have you taken? Well, we we've now done two hundred and fifty. Two hundred fifty stories. Two hundred fifty stories, and okay. we've um, and we've uh, upped our number of of, of hospices. And uh, how many again? Uh, I think it's about forty five now. Okay. And, um, we've got you know another one hundred and sixty to go because there are two hundred and twenty hospices. Our aim actually is to do two hundred because we think that they're going to be at least twenty that um, we we can't do, and um, and. The other thing is that we're going to adapt our charity so that we can also do children's hospices. So we're probably going to be recording them on things they will want to be remembered. Um, you know, there's lots of, there are two things. One is that there are dying children who've got terminal disease. There are also very, very young teenagers who've had children, but who themselves are dying. Um, 
those babies and very, very young children are going to want to be able to see their mother or their father. So we, in the future, want to expand into that area where we can record them on film. Otherwise, it's on audio because uh, most people prefer to be recorded on audio. Right, especially if they're going through treatments and they're hooked up to machines and such. So, yeah. Barbara, I just got a, a keen insight when you just said all this. I just really connected something important here between your work and mine. And so, since my work is so much about meaning and purpose, and purpose really can't work, and, and it doesn't work without the fact that we have a limited number of days on the planet. If we had infinite time, purpose wouldn't work because you wouldn't have the urgency. So what I appreciate about our connection here is that I'm out to help people live their biggest, fullest, most passionate, inspired life of contribution as they possibly can, and you're there to catch their story when they finish. Exactly, exactly. But we we don't, um, often some of our patients are, um, they've got a year or so to live. Um, We also do ward patients in hospices, which means they only have a matter of weeks to live so mm-hmm, there's, mm-hmm. A, there's a huge variance there and then now during COVID uh, we do interviews um, on the phone uh, between grandchildren and grandparents and also we do um, audio interviews over the phone as an audio biography so over COVID we're, we're doing it remotely mm-hmm. how, how do you find that in, in, in relation to being in person? Um, it's difficult, really, because I think um, I've done 50 interviews now with grandparents being interviewed by their grandchildren, and the interviews are not the same, mm-hmm. uh, but they're still of value. But, you know, grandchildren ask the sweetest of questions, but they're not getting to the heart of the interview. Right, so right. It, it's good and bad, you know. You wouldn't say one was inferior to another, but it's it's a totally different thing. You know, they say, Granny, you know, what what's your favorite breakfast and when was your first kiss? And you can hear the grandparent peeling with laughter because they <laughs> enjoy it so much. You know, it's really, really enjoyable. Um, so it's a very, very different interview, but that's what we've been doing since COVID. Um, okay. We'll, we'll get you back to business, Barbara, because your work, the way you do it, is precious. And I know you've trained your volunteers very specifically to be yeah. able to elicit the story that you really want to celebrate. And, and, and to that end, here we are pretty much at the end of the show already, Barbara. So in, say, about a minute, what would you like to leave the listeners with? Um, record your loved ones or get somebody like me to record them for you. Um, but whatever you do, just get them on on tape because uh you will be so pleased afterwards and after they die because the most biggest thing that you'll um want to hear is is their voice and um all their little foibles and the way they speak and the way they cough and the way they splutter or whatever it is you know everybody has their own way of talking and their turn of phrase and even even the adjectives and adverbs and nouns that they use are very specific to them. And, you know, they're unique. Each person, each person's life story, each person's voice is unique. And that's what you want to remember because that's what you love them for. Mm. Barbara, you are a gift to the world. And I'm so grateful that Paul Skinner of... Um 
um, what is this? What's it? Pimp My Cause. Paul Skinner, Pimp My Cause. That's how I met you. He connected us. He knew that you were working on purpose and with passion. I thank you so much for for sharing your heart, your soul, your story, and the Hospice Biographer's mission with us. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Barbara Altunian and what she and the work she and her team are doing at The Hospice Biographers, go to thehospicebiographers.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Steve Brown, previously a futurist at Intel, this time talking about his book, The Innovation Ultimatum, How Six Strategic Technologies Will Reshape Every Business in the 2020s. Next week, we'll be on the air with Dr. Herb Sennett, talking about the importance of encouragement in leadership. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.